Hello, everyone, and welcome to the God and Cancel Culture podcast. It's the new podcast that I hope will draw attention to my new book by the same title, which is releasing the day after Labor Day, September 7th. I did 22 separate interviews for the book. I recorded them, and I was able to use them as podcasts. All of them have already run on the Strang Report and had thousands of downloads. But I decided to create this new podcast with its own logo and to create a new audience of people who would be interested in this book. Today, we're going to hear an interview with Mike Bickle. You may know that he is the founder and director of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. He is a longtime friend. He's a real student of the word, a student of prayer. He's very concerned about what's happening in our country, especially as it has to do with cancel culture. So you want to stay tuned and listen to this podcast. It's exactly as it was with the Strang Report, theme music and all. Maybe you've heard it already, but I felt it was important to post this online. So stay tuned, and at the end, I come back with another message. Welcome to the Strang Report with Steve Strang on the Charisma Podcast Network. This episode was produced to discuss and address issues within our nation and around the world from a Christian worldview. Uh, Mike Bickle, I've interviewed you, I think, for all of my books. And now that I'm writing God and Cancel Culture, I know that you have opinions about it, partly because I'm dealing with the persecution, because I see cancel culture, at least as it applies to Christians, as a type of persecution. And, you know, it causes us to think that persecution may actually come to America. You know, I think I grew up in the 50s and 60s thinking that we were kind of exempt from what we heard in all these third world countries, particularly the communist countries. But now all that's kind of changing. So I just wanted to ask you what you think that persecution would look like in America if it does happen. First of all, I'm convinced it is already starting in a mild way. It's already happening, but it's mild for the majority. For the folks that are getting hit, it doesn't feel mild, but it's a small, small number right now. But I see that number increasing dramatically, not in the sense of everybody, every believer, but many believers being uh, affected by this in a small or intense way. You know, it'll be different in every situation, but yes, it is here a little bit. It's coming much more, and it's biblical that it's coming. And of course, the passage you and I have talked about on a number of times, and I wrote a book with your company and with Charisma, uh, the book on Psalm 2, and I call it uh, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis. And I jump right in on what David prophesied 3,000 years ago. In 1000 BC, King David said in Psalm 2, he described in the first three verses of Psalm 2, the kings of the earth and the rulers, which would be the leaders of the culture, not just small, smaller political leaders and the kings, but the leaders of, you know, of, of academia, the media, marketplace, economics, military, sports, you know, all of those rulers of the culture, they will come together, not hundred percent of them, but enough of them for David to say they will come together. And so it will be a formidable, uh, you know, like a majority, the many, 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 but you can't say all. And they're going to plan and scheme, it says. They're going to scheme together. 
I mean, leaders of all from all parts of society, and their goal is verse three. David says it in a way that you might not catch it at first. He, in essence, said they're going to drive the influence of the word of God out of the culture. Now, he doesn't use the word, the influence of the word of God. He says they're going to break God's bonds off the people and cast away God's cords. God's bonds and God's cords to the, uh, to the secular mindset, God's word is bondage and it stifles our human potential old archaic laws in the Bible that are keeping us back from our full potential and sexuality and spirituality and everything else. The kings of the earth are going to plan together with the rulers of the culture to take the bondage of God's word from their point of view and break it off off of cities and nations, break it off the culture. That means to get rid of, dismiss the word of God in the public square in every way possible. And that is really accelerated in the last 12 months and then much faster the last 12 weeks. I mean, it is at a, a almost a breathtaking speed that this is increasing what David prophesied 3,000 years ago. Why do you think it's increasing now so fast? Boy, yeah, I don't fully understand the divine calendar. Yeah, well, I think the internet is a huge point. Without an internet, there could not be thousands of people emboldening one another with crazy ideas. And so the internet has given language and accessibility for all kinds of people to voice their opinions and in essence to validate and embolden the people that are like them. So that's that's become, I mean, like the Arab Spring in 2011. Without the internet, that thing could not have happened. So the internet is, you know, in the first time of history, the last 20, 30 years, whatever the, you know, the, however you date it back to where people are all on it talking. That is huge right there. And, and that's given a platform for spin artists. That's give platform for people to get fake news. I mean, all kinds of things can now be on you know, all of us have three, four, five, six, seven devices, you know, one, other, one kind or the other, and news and information and opinions is coming in so fast to everyone. People that would have never have thought of certain things are now not only thinking about them, they're enraged about them, and they see themselves as experts on them, whereas before, they wouldn't even have been thinking about them if all these ideas were not put in front of them through the globalization-type communication to the internet. So I think that's a biggie is the very presence of the internet. I mean, that's one of about 10 things. I think that's a good point. And I hadn't really thought of it until now, but the reformation likely would not have happened had not Gutenberg invented the printing press. 100% because Luther was not the first guy to say these things. There were a number of other guys like John Huss a hundred years earlier. They burned him at the stake for saying it because he couldn't get any kind of mass public support. But the printing press was the critical point that made uh, Luther's courage and statements go forth. Because without that, it would not have gone forth. You know, and while this isn't the focus of the book or even this podcast, thinking about it, the proliferation of television, which allowed Christian television is part of what fueled the charismatic movement back in the day, as well as uh, conferences and books and so forth. But there's probably a lot of things through history that have happened, you know, including uh, people coming to the new world and having freedom to spread the gospel. 
So what you're saying is that with the march of history and the in increase in technology, it, it has effects that were prophesied 3,000 years ago. And back in that day, you know, where communication was very limited, uh, people essentially lived in tribes, nations were smallish. There weren't, the, you know, the huge, huge empires didn't come until much somewhat later. And so we can understand that these things that were inconceivable in David's day. In fact, it's hard for us to think what life was like back then, other than, you know, novels and movies and things have been written about it. And But can you imagine 3,000 years from now? What, what would that be? 5,000 or something? I mean, yeah, David could not have could not have foreseen in any way. Uh, what life is like today, yet God did. And of course, God has a, a plan and purpose. And, you know, I grew up in Pentecostal circles, as you know, and and talking about the end times was big. In fact, everybody had their theory and they had these big charts and they had pointers and they would point about when the rapture was going to take place and when the great tribulation and so forth. And, you know, all different kinds of Christians, you know, had different opinions and still do. Anytime I talk about this, I always like uh, Pat Robertson's joke. He said he's a pan, you know, he's not a pre or mid or post millennial. He's a pan millennial, <laughs> millennialist because he thinks it's all going to pan out in the end. And that's kind of what I, I believe in a way, too. But even while Christians talk about this stuff, it is not on the radar screen of secular society or liberal Christianity. It just isn't. It isn't discussed. People, I'm assuming they think it's some kind of superstition. It's not a part of the public debate at all. Yet, we see it coming to fruition before our eyes in our generation. And so many changes that in the past took centuries or even millennia to go from point A to point B now happens in one person's lifetime. I mean, think of all the changes that have happened since, well, certainly since World War II, which is a little beyond my lifetime and yours, but, you know, the, I'm talking about culturally and governmentally and so forth. So uh, this podcast is with you, not me, so I, I'll let you opine about it, but I just kind of wanted to throw that in. No, no, I love our conversation back and forth. I love it. The uh, two verses that come to mind is kind of randomly, I'm just throwing them in here. They may not fit in the discussion in a big way, but Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, that when the people were in full communication of language, of course, they were in one geographic location, but they had unified language. God said, I'm going to stop their unified language, lest they, you know, nothing will stop them if they have unified language, because the human potential, what God put into the human spirit and the human design in unity, it, it will go on and on and on, the achievements. And, and so he said, we're going to stop them, you know, lest they do this and that and the other. And I think that it says, unless they reach the heavens, and that's a, in Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, I think that's a point that can be easily missed because when God said, stop unless they reach the heavens and that nothing will be impossible, I don't believe the Lord was intimidated by their four-story tower or their eight-story brick tower. He, God didn't go, oh my gosh, I mean, they're 80 feet closer to us. They may get 100 feet before long. That's not what he meant when it says they'll reach to the top of heaven. I believe it means the spirit realm, that 
human, there's enough sin in humans that they get together and they share their knowledge and experience and they embolden each other in sin. They will get to the top of the heavens. They will touch the demonic realm faster than I want them to go there. Because at the end of the age, right before the Lord returns, the human race has entered into a realm of darkness beyond any time of history and interaction with demons. And that is, I think, what was being talked about in Genesis 11, touching the heavens, and that's happening now. And so the internet is actually the restoration, that's probably the wrong word, but it's the global unified language now. It's the babble language. Everyone in the earth can talk. I mean, we're just minutes away from this instant, even translation of languages. I mean, that's rapidly growing, but five and 10 years, I could talk to a guy in, in, who only speaks Chinese and he will hear me almost in real time with translation. I mean, that's how it's going. So literally the Tower of Babel situation is almost established in place. We're not quite there yet, but it's through the internet. So that and the book of Revelation makes it clear that the realm of the demonic, of course, we're not so as focused on that, although it is a point to know. We're looking at the great revival and the outpouring of the spirit and the greatest revival in human history and the billion soul harvest. You know, we more focus on the positive side of what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. But there is a demonic increase of, of darkness that's happening while the light is happening. But it's the Tower of Babel story, actually, is one of the storylines of the end time biblical storylines. Only one of them, but because there's a prepared bride and a great harvest and the power of God and many, many other things happen, too. So anyway, Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, that is a passage to be looked at and to be understood. Then the other, I'll just be brief on this. The, I said there was two passages, the Genesis 11, and the, ex, the next one is the prophecy of Daniel. It's a simple prophecy, one, one verse, but it has staggering implications, and it's so cryptic you can miss it. But once you get your mind around it, you go, not that cryptic that you don't get it. And once you see the data and the stats, it's Daniel 12, verse 4. And Daniel 12, verse 4, he's talking in context. You read Daniel 12, the verses before it, and the verses right before Daniel 12 and Daniel 11, clearly talking about the generation the Lord returns, clearly talking about the coming of the Lord and the Antichrist on the earth, a literal Antichrist, along with an Antichrist spirit, because it's both end. It's not either or. And then Daniel 12, 4, drops in this cryptic phrase, you think, what? He says, at that time, knowledge will increase and people will travel to and fro. You think, okay, well, knowledge is increasing right now. At, uh, I've done a study on this. I mean, a casual study. Go to the internet. There's so much on it. it, it something like, uh, I'm making this up. I got all the, the data, but I haven't looked at it for some months. So I could, I'll say it wrong. Something like this. All of the accumulation of human information doubled like it took one, two, three thousand years for it to double once, something like that. Then it took a thousand years for it to double the next time. Then it took a hundred years for it to double the next time. I'm talking about the totality of human information. Then it took 12 months recently to double again. And we're on the trajectory. I mean, this is so mind-blowing because of the artificial intelligence and the technology. They said the totality of human knowledge, this next one is so staggering, 
I don't know if I can even believe it, but it's it's out there. There's 10 sources on it. That doesn't make it right, but it's it is staggering. They said the totality of human knowledge will double every 12 hours. I, and I read, I go, what? Because the medical stuff, the artificial intelligence, the amount that's being put on the internet, the, you know, with the computers now teaching computers, now teaching computers, I don't know if it's going to double every 12 hours, but the point of it is doubling so rapidly increasing. So that little cryptic phrase of Daniel chapter 12, verse four, and knowledge will increase. It's a massive implications to the spread of evil as well as the spread of good as well. But that, I called it internet 10 minutes ago. I'm referencing now the Daniel 12, four, knowledge will increase. Then he says, then he says transportation will increase, but he doesn't use the word transportation. They'll travel to and fro. If people could not, you know, whatever the stats are, I got them. I just don't have them in my memory banks right now. The millions of people on airplanes daily and millions and millions per year and how much more it's increasing in the next 10 years of a guy could be in London, then be in New York. And even the speed is getting, they'll be there in three hours in a, in a few, not long from now, you know, instead of seven hours or 12 hours and, to go from Hong Kong to Chicago is going to be so many people moving and the spread of people physically and the communication through technology, travel and knowledge is what has created the unique environment of this time. I mean, this last 10 years unique, this last 20 years. I don't even mean the last hundred, the last like, I mean, even two or three years, it's increasing so rapidly. I mean, the COVID slowed things down, but put that aside for right now. I'm talking about the general trend of the human race. That is why the Psalm 2 unity of the heads of state, kings of the earth, the heads of state and the rulers of the culture, the, you know, the, the opinion makers, the, the, the people who are the leaders in thought, the rulers of the culture, they are, can be together so easily whether they're physically together or through technology and the tower of Babel evil is, is, is multiplying because they're all sharing their experiences, their information, and they're emboldening each other and approving and applauding. And then the masses of the earth are hungry for more of it. And so there's economic dimensions to it. And I mean, those are reasons why it's all exploding right now so rapidly in the last, whether you call it a year, 10 years or 20 years, because every one of those time frames has a, more intense acceleration than the time frame before it. I think this is very interesting. And of course, it's making me think where I have heard or thought about these things in the past. When you talk about knowledge, uh, you know, there's different ways to describe it. But I think with the doubling, part of it is just the amount of information that's out there that would include every email, every text message, every photo on a camera, every website. You know, that's the kind of stuff that is, is exploding. And I remember when I was in high school, where the space race had started, and it was really the space race that gave us the technology that became the internet and cell phones and everything else. But I remember hearing this about doubling, and I was thinking, how in the world could that happen? But yet in my lifetime, I've published 2,000 books, who knows how many magazines, how many words, and in my own small way, I've, I've contributed to you know that increase in information and communication. And I also remember my grandfather, who is a Pentecostal preacher, and my mother, who is still with us, uh, will tell this story. It's one of the few stories that is repeated in our family. 
that my grandfather used to preach a sermon on men running to and fro. And he just thought people were, this was the 30s, you know, people had cars and trains and there were a few airplanes, of course. And she would say, boy, how much more is it now? And, you know, this, she would have said this over the years. And of course, you know, the word of God is true and people in earlier eras and, you know, saw these scriptures and interpreted it based on what they saw before them. But, you know, my grandfather could not have, could not have envisioned the internet. He died before the internet came online, of course. And, and the technology is mind boggling. And in fact, yesterday, a friend something came up in conversation and he said something about, oh yeah, we talked about that in Argentina. And I was going, what? And I realized that a year or so ago, I'd, I'd made an ordinary phone call to him about something, you know, very day to day. He was in Argentina. I didn't know that. And the cell phone found him. They searched all the cell phone towers in the world and found his cell phone in a matter of a, a second or two. And of course, I'm not telling you or my listeners anything they don't know. But I mean, when we think about things that we kind of take for granted, I mean, how in the world do these cell phone towers know his cell phone? And then I'm up in Florida somewhere and we had our little conversation. And I guess I had forgotten that I was talking to him in Argentina because, you know, you can. In fact, I remember the days when a, a long distance phone call, which was actually pretty amazing technology compared to what they didn't have before, uh, you know, because you could call anywhere around the world, but it cost you a whole lot of money and it was complicated (laughs) to dial the number and everything. And so anyway, I'm just using this as saying that I'm thinking about some of the things that you're saying and and applying them to my own life. But let's cycle back around uh, to the cancel culture. And you you have seen it uh, happening where certain professions now make it very, very difficult for Christians to either get into the profession or excel. We have seen this in the past with some hospitals that would not hire a doctor who would refuse to do an abortion. I think there was maybe some legislation or maybe even some court cases about that, so we don't hear much about it. But I mean, that would be an example. But there's other, you know, some of these sort of left-wing companies, they don't, it's almost people, all the people there think alike. And a conservative Christian, this traditional, couldn't even hardly get in the door. You know, this is not probably by law, as in fact, it, it almost certainly is not by law because of uh, anti-discrimination laws, but it certainly is by culture. And I even remember when I started my career in journalism in the 70s, I was very, very aware that the people in the newsroom who knew I was an evangelical Christian uh treated me like an outsider and i just sort of figured out that i had no upward mobility which is one reason why i left the secular journalism profession i don't remember the people being mean necessarily but i was excluded from things they kind of kept an eye on me to be sure that i didn't you know sneak something into an article about god Although they let me do a, a story on Catherine Coleman. They made it a, a cover story of the Sunday magazine. So I did have some opportunities like that. But, you know, when when this has developed more and more in the culture, in a way, I wasn't surprised because I sort of understood it intuitively in my own career, you know, several decades ago. So 
I didn't need to tee this up by saying that much, but I'm just interested, you know, even with uh, your wife, Diane, in the real estate business, she she's seen some things happen. Why don't you just talk to me and my listeners about what you've observed? Yeah, of course, this is getting more and more widespread. This was, I'm guessing, six months ago. Again, it could have been a little bit later or earlier. She got a notice from the National Real Estate, whatever the board. There, There's a company, a national company. You have to get their okay and you got to register with them, something like that. It, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, like the the rifle and guns. It's not a company like that where you get to volunteer to be a part or not be a part. You have to, if you want to have a real estate license, they sent out the word that they're, I don't know, saying it is it's finished or established is probably exaggerated, but they were giving them notice. This is where we're going. And maybe they're already there that any real estate agent that has any kind of prejudiced or biased against any of the gender issues any of that stuff, they cannot have their license. They cannot have a license because they will end up bringing harm to people. You know, you know, because if they've got Christian values, well, they didn't say Christian values, but if they have values that do not esteem the gay agenda. If they don't esteem that, then they will end up not giving them the best deal, and that's unfair. So they have to make it clear. A make a statement to the authorities above them if they want their license that they will uphold this 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 and this my wife read this i'm guessing october november is what i'm thinking just last year she goes oh my gosh she goes there's i'm making this number up to twenty thousand realtors there's you know 10 20 30 percent of them are strong believers i mean we don't know the number for sure but it's thousands she goes we will be out of business we cannot sign that. And they are saying it's not mandatory yet, but it's mandatory in a minute, according to the language of the text she was receiving from them. She goes, this is a minute away. This is like now. She goes, I'm thinking of these young 30, 40-year-old realtors. They got three or four kids in their home that are don't have their house paid off they're going to lose their job. This is going to be a huge crisis for them. And this is going to be multiplied in profession after profession after profession, not just relative, but this just alerted her because she's watching the things increase in the culture and she's really level-headed and going, well, you know, it will be what it will be and it will be fine. She read that. She goes, I am now officially not okay. (laughs) I went, oh, wow. She goes, no, I am troubled at a whole nother level. Because she, she goes, I'm thinking of the people I know, not just my own life. I know realtors were strong friends, even in other companies across the city, because they always, many times they work together. I know their kids. They love the Lord. They are going to lose their job based on this, this information that the top company sent us. And I mean, she's been alarmed ever since then. And so that's one of many different professions where that's going. I mean, the most terrifying thing is the Equality Act. You know, the House representative, we all know, has passed it. Now it's coming to the Senate, you know, the next week or two or three or four or five. I don't know how long it'll take. But if the Senate passes that, oh, my goodness, the Equality Act will be the most devastating promotion of litigation and laws to stop religious liberty, which means more than believers. But in our world, it will stop people who value the Bible from walking out our conscience 
being inspired and loyal to the Bible. I mean, it will stop other religious groups as well. You know, synagogues and mosques and all kinds of different religious gatherings. But we're thinking of evangelical Christianity that believes the Bible will be absolutely slammed by this. And it is, I mean, I hope the Senate stops it. But, you know, it's 50-50 now. I mean, it could go 51-49 either direction. And, oh, my, this is terrifying in its implications. And even if it fails to pass, it'll come up again. Because this came up during the Trump administration, and it was dead on arrival in the Senate. It wasn't even an issue. But it was passed, if I remember correctly, I've reported on this, by 100% of the Democrats. I mean, no defectors at all. And there's just a mindset that this is inevitable. It's good. They don't, you know, if if you object that Christians are being discriminated against, it's like they deserve it. You know, these are bad people. And, and if you take this to its conclusion, which it's dangerous to do that sometimes, and there's a lot of people that have cried wolf over the years about something bad that didn't happen. But if you take it to its conclusion, it means that eventually the Bible will be outlawed. They'll call it a hate book. And they'll put it in the same category as mean comp or something like that. Yeah, no, I mean, there absolutely. there have been some examples of that in history. Now, I think it's going to take a while for that to happen. But my goodness, look at what has happened in just the last few decades. And, you know, to go back to what I said earlier, not to try to monopolize this uh, podcast, but I could see the beginnings of some of this kind of stuff in the 70s when I was in university. And it was like awful. And surely this is not going to get, you know, this is as bad as it's going to get. We just have to learn to live with it. And it's gotten increasingly against Christians. And there are a lot of people that fall in the same category as Diane, your wife, who think, you know, we can, you know, kind of ride this out. But we're finding that it applies, you know, it applies in some ways to all of us. And And so that's one of the reasons I'm writing this book, because it's manifesting itself in cancel culture. People will object publicly. I mean, look at what's happened to Mike Lindell. In fact, I'm writing extensively about his story in my book. But, you know, he had the audacity to support Trump. And then he had the audacity to say what I believe is true, that the election was stolen. I mean, if you even suggest it, they're trying to cancel you and they're canceling him in a big way by stores not carrying his pillows. What in the world does a pillow have to do with Donald Trump or the election? Nothing. But they're making him an example so that other people are fearful. They keep their heads down. And we're seeing this in the church, a sort of self-censorship. I mean, in fact, uh, there was a prominent Christian leader who's a good friend of yours, and there's no need right now in this setting to say his name, but he preached a sermon last week to a group of pastors and he says, when is the last time you preached a sermon on marriage be- between a man and a woman? And the answer is most of them haven't. They just sort of don't go there. And as a result, you know, prevent a whole bunch of uh, problems. There's a, a prominent pastor in Texas. Again, I think I can tell the story without his name. Uh, this was a number of years ago. He's on television. And there were a whole bunch of cross-dressers. They weren't really talking too much about transgender. You know, this was maybe 10 or 15 years ago. But they were obviously men with wigs on and 
and uh, makeup and high heels who came into the church to try to make a big deal. Now, in this case, they treated them lovingly and were nice to them. They didn't, you know, back down on their stand or anything, but they were they were trying to make a media incident. And in this particular case, it didn't happen. But those kinds of things, there is a pastor in uh, England that I'm including in my book. We picked, you know, we picked it up from the news that he tweeted something about a gay pride parade that was happening in his locality. And what he did, I didn't consider to be particularly offensive. And he they have come against him. They stand outside his church and yell during services and all kinds of things. And it's become all in the news over in England. And this is going to happen more and more and more. So as we wrap up this interview, which has gone a little longer than I intended, I just want to give you an opportunity to opine about it. Well, it I started preaching on Psalm 2, this conflict. I'm not trying to be a know-it-all, but literally my first sermon was 40 years ago. My my point is not that I get it all, but I've been watching it carefully because I've been preaching on it. And I preach on it every couple of years at conferences. I just have always talked about Psalm 2. So I've been looking, my only point in saying that I've been looking at it for that many years. And it was real slow moving in the late 70s when I first started preaching on it. Hardly moving, you know, and then with moral majority and then some born again presidents, I go, well, well, maybe, maybe, you know, David overshot. (laughs) I didn't really think that, but. Or at least in our lifetime, you mean, because (laughs) a lot of us evangelical Christians believe it's going to be like really bad. You know, the battle of Armageddon and all kinds of things that we haven't talked about, but it's going to be so far in the future. We're going to, you know, we're all going to be dead by then, but it's now looking more and more like it may take place. If we haven't even gotten to that kind of bad stuff, we're just talking about people turning away from God and discrimination and losing right. our religious values. But, you know, we believe that the Antichrist is going to manifest at some point, right? 100%. And of course, Christians have been calling different people the Antichrist, Mussolini, and all kinds of people, and that didn't happen. But an Antichrist, of, and there's certainly a spirit of Antichrist in the world today, if if the person hasn't manifested. Right. And but my point in saying the 40 years, it has exploded in the last 12 months and double exploded in the last 12 weeks. That's my point. Like it's not just increasing like the 70s. It was kind of a little low in the 80s. Then it kind of increased in the 90s. It was clearly increasing, but it was not alarming. The last 12 months and 12 weeks, I'm just using 12 just to have fun. That's not the exact number. <laughs> But it is, and then Elon Musk and all the things he's saying and artificial intelligence and this, the big tech companies and the Senate potentially being run by the Democrats, you know, with one inch further to the left, it's going to be a majority and the House and redoing the election laws to where there's going to, if they redo them and then the, the, you know, the Democrats are in power long term. Big tech company has more liberty. Oh, my goodness, this thing is increasing. I'm not afraid, and I'm not afraid to say I'm afraid, but I'm actually not afraid. I'm I'm alerted. I'm alarmed. But I just see the Lord smiling, going, you think this escalation is surprising me, and they get the last word? No. (laughs) And it's not just Jesus comes and we go away someday. That's That's not what I mean by Jesus has the last word. 
there are going to be some dimensions of internet technology that God is going to give believers that are going to, I think the Google, Amazon guys, we're going to look back someday and they're going to be, you know, what pagers were to cell phones or something like that. Like, whoa, I think there's some new things coming that the dark is getting darker, the light's getting lighter, but I'm alarmed and I'm unsettled by what's escalating, but I feel the Lord smiling going, I have some plans that's going to knock the wind in a good way out of all of you. This thing is not over like you think it might be over. Uh, there's going to be my hand involved in a way that's going to cause my people to go forward in unity and with God's blessing on their life. So it's it's a double-edged sword, or uh, that's probably not the right term, but there's two stories going on, a good and a bad one, that are both escalating simultaneously. Well, thank you. You have really given me a lot to think about, a lot of good material for this book. I think my listeners will enjoy this. Of course, you've got a lot of information. One thing that they could do is to uh, search out your book, which you mentioned earlier, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis, which would be available really wherever Christian books are sold. Right. It's still continuing to sell all these years later, and it really speaks to what's happening. But you have a lot of information there at International House of Prayer, Kansas City, which is your ministry. I've always liked the expression that your copyright is your right to copy. So tell people how they can go. And if boy, if they want to study this, your sermons, your notes, all these things are available online. And a lot of my listeners, in fact, we'll put it in the in the footnotes of the book as well, so that readers of the book, when it comes out, will also be able to access it. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's just mikebickle.org. It's my teaching library, mikebickle.org. And I probably have, I don't know the number, maybe 2,000 messages. Many of them are videoed, I mean, captured on camera so they can see it. And I have notes and transcriptions added to the notes so they can get any version they want. They might want to just watch it or hear it. They might want just the four-page handout, or they might want the 12-page transcription dropped into the handout. And so, But it's all theirs. It's for free. And I tell people, if you like what you read, cut and paste, put it in your own document. It's yours to run with. You don't even have to mention my name. You know, I, I jokingly say, put your mom's name on it. I don't care. <laughs> Just run with it. Do something. With it. She might care, but <laughs> but I don't well, care. Well, Mike, you are a wealth of information. You're a very, very generous guy. You've made a, a huge impact in our generation. I just want to thank you. And thank you for being my friend. I don't get to say that publicly very often. And thank you for, uh, I think I've interviewed you for every one of my books. I'd have to go back and check, but I uh, hope you, you have. I, I love. <laughs> I love. I mean, we've been dear friends for going on forty years. I don't know how many years it's been, over thirty and less than forty. But you are a dear friend and support, and a strength to me. So thank you. But right back at you. Well, thank you. What you just heard was an actual interview for my book, "God and Cancel Culture." And as I've said, I created this podcast to be able to share these with listeners to draw attention to the book. You can pre-order it on Amazon.com, and it actually helps if you will pre-order the book. You don't pay for it until it comes out, and they ship it to you automatically on release date, September 7th. 
So thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing this podcast, help to get the word out. I believe that this is my most important book, and I hope you agree after you read it. God bless you.